Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett, and on today's episode, we have Mr. Brett Campbell from Claxon Agency joining us all the way from the East Coast of Australia. And uh, we have a really, really, really good, just a good chat on business and marketing in, in general. Like I highly recommend this, uh, you listen to this episode if you're in business, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't want to miss this one. I was also on Brett's uh, podcast not long ago as well. We had a great chat there too, which we'll, we'll link up for you guys. But uh, I think if you're a business owner, this is an episode that you will 100% not want to miss. And of course, if we can ever help you with your marketing, just head over to www.marketingmogul.com.au uh, where we can help you out. There's a whole bunch of info right there where we can help you take your business to the next level. But without further ado, let's jump into the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Mate, highlight of my day, actually. I'm looking forward <laughs> to this. Me too, me too. It's great. And for any, any listeners, I was on Brett's podcast not long ago, so we'll put that in the show notes as well so you can check it out and hear our chat over there, which was really insightful and great fun, to be honest. I haven't had a podcast like that in a long time, so it was a great chat. But I always like to ask at the start of my podcast, which is, Brett, if I met you and we're out at a party and we're having a few beers and I said, Brett, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Mm. First of all, I'll be like, what are you drinking? Let's fucking do another shot. So I'd be, <laughs> that, I'd be that guy, I think. I think we'd, you know, from a from a social aspect, we'd, we'd get on really well. And then I'd tell you, I, I think initially, because I, I like this question because it challenges you to think, right? Because there's always a default answer and, and it's really predicated on how deep do I really want to go into a conversation with someone, right? Mm. Guy like yourself, I'd I'd be interested in ha- in having a lot more dialogue with. So I'd I'd probably lead with. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got a number of different companies that I own and also invest in, and leave it at that. Which then that would open up. Oh, tell me more about that. Right, that that the old dialogue. You know, if if, if someone said, and I really wasn't interested in wanting to continue the dialogue, I'd say, Ah, oh, look, you know, I've got a couple of businesses in the marketing space. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd really, I'd, I'd, I'd close off the conversation yeah, before it even lock it down. To flourish, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, and so, tell us a little. Had me a pub and drink, so I, I thought we we're going to go into into a different angle there, but <laughs> yeah, no, beautiful. We'll, we'll circle back to the, to the pub and drinks in a sec <laughs> as well. But so, t- so obviously, you've got an agency yourself, Claxon, uh, and so tell us a few other things because as well, you didn't start out in like a lot of people. I think when they see people that start agencies, they're like. Maybe they were a marketing and advertising nerd who then just went up through and saw an opportunity to start an agency when, you know, like what would be maybe five, 10 years ago when advertising agencies started to become a bit more prevalent, especially digitally. But you kind of, from what I've seen, so you've kind of come in from a a different angle because you were doing a lot of different stuff, first of all, right? Like what were some of the origins for yourself? Yeah, well, 2008 was really the the starting point from the entrepreneurial side of things. You know, I, I grew up in a really poor town. And got kicked out of high school and the only job going, because my mum said to me, she goes, well, you're not at high school anymore. You you better start making some money because you're going to start paying board. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean I'm going to start paying board? I'm 16 years old. And she goes, you need to contribute. I was like, okay. So there was an apprenticeship 
And I fell into an apprenticeship. I was earning $4.95 an hour. So I was killing it. I was slaying it. And I still had to pay board. That's another conversation. So I, I didn't really come from an entrepreneurial starting ground, right? I've, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, though. I just never really knew it. You know, I had a, I had the typical, you know, I had my own little lawn mowing business. So I'd door knock up and down streets asking people if they had any jobs for me. So I was, I was always prepared to work for, for money, right? Because we didn't have any. So I was like, if I need it, I've got to go out there and earn it, right? So I was in that sort of position for the list case five, six years as an employee. So that was my stint as an employee. I, I quickly realized that I'm, I'm not the greatest employee because even from my first day of walking into that joinery factory, I, my first thought was, how do I own this? So that's a weird thought. Not everyone has that when they walk into, a, into their first job when they're 16 going, how do I own this? How do I get that V8 Holden Ute out the front there that the boss has? And and long story short, you know, got got sick of being in that sort of space and not being able to grow to what I thought I could grow to. So it caused me to jump on an airplane and fly over to the Gold Coast here in Australia, where I am now to this day, and start my entrepreneurial quest, which started in the fitness industry, right? Because I, at high school, I was good at three things. I was good at woodwork, I was good at PE, and I was good at lunch. I'd already tried the woodworking thing as a cabinet maker, right? I wasn't going to get paid to eat. Yeah, although that's a career for some people now, should have should have been onto that a bit sooner. So I thought, well, I like PE, I like working out, I like the gym. Let's just go and be a PT, like I think every Australian. I don't think you've lived in Australia until you've you've done a personal training certificate. I think so. Started in the fitness space, and then one day I was walking past my flatmate's computer as I was heading out to train clients, and she had an ebook on her computer screen. I was like, "What's that?" She goes, "Well, it's it's a workout program I just bought." I'm like, "What's that?" What do you mean you just bought it? And that was the penny drop moment for me to go, oh, this internet thing actually works. You know, I remember being the kid at school going, and I don't want to get a computer class. Fuck that. I was like, this is ridiculous. What a waste of time. Right. And then that moment of, oh my God, this dude's actually in America. He would be sleeping right about now. And he actually made some money. So I went down this massive rabbit hole of figuring out how do I make this happen? How do I create products online? And then that took me down a rabbit hole of marketing. And then that took me down the rabbit hole of psychology and persuasion and influence and, and humans and why we do what we do. And it, it, what I know to be true out of all of everything that I do and have ever done, the nucleus of it is I'm a problem solver. Okay. I, I don't just join dots. I see dots that aren't there. It's my, net, my unique ability is to be able to see problems that, that other people can't see. And I actually get excited about solving them. Right, that's why I guess I attract so many bloody problems. I put it out to the universe, right? But it was more in the, in the fitness space. You know, we built the fast growing fitness franchise here in Australia back in 2010. We had a fitness college. We had an entire fitness range of everything, supplements and clothing. And this was before the Instagram world took over, right? Became really good at lead generation, generated hundreds of thousands of leads, fell in love with the Facebook marketing ecosystem. I was like, man, I could do this really fast. You know, so through advertising, because one thing I know to be true is, and what I guess drives me every day is if there's a faster way to do something, I'll find it out, right? And, and when I connected to this whole concept of life's too short, you know, it's like, why would you not want to do something faster if you can? Not at the detriment of the journey and not causing chaos and all of those variables, but there's always a faster way. There's always a better way. So that's how I, I guess, view the world, right? And so it, it came from that precipice of, building a company and then people going, hey, can how do you do it? How do you do that? So I started coaching and mentoring, 
you know, which was the next transition. And then it led to, you know, me coaching and mentoring people and made it, it, I got to a point where, and actually a mutual friend of ours, Alex, we were talking a lot and he was sort of starting his coaching program as well at the time. And we had this realization that for me, I was just like, I'm losing sleep at night because I've got some consulting clients and coaching clients that aren't even getting any results. And I couldn't reconcile that because I'm like, but I'm giving them my best stuff, my best stuff, like the shit that's exactly working for me, like I'm giving it to them. And that's where it led to the, can you do it for me? It was like, oh, look, you can lead a horse to water. You can even jump on the horse's head, put the, their horse's head in the water, but you still can't make them drink the water, right? And that's what that's what was happening for me. So I was like, okay, mate, maybe there's something in this. We do it for them. Prior to starting our agency, I'd already spent over $2 million of my own money personally in advertising. So I come from it through the, the school of hard knocks of trialing and error and and sort of seeing the, the progression of advertising back in 2008 when Facebook really sort of started to, to where it is today. I mean, it's completely revolutionized and put so much more products and services and opportunities for people out there. It was ridiculous, right? Even if you look at it in the landscape of politics, what's going on at the moment of recording this episode is the whole um, v, uh, Trump, Trump, <laughs> Trump v. Biden. And I think there were stats coming out that they were spending and this is unconfirmed, but this is what I was hearing is like a hundred million a day each on on their on their Facebook and Instagram ads, which is to me, I was like, oh, wondering why all my costs in America were going up like <laughs> incrementally. It's like, oh, when someone's dropping, you know, like two hundred mil a day into the ad spend, of course it's going to push your prices up. But it, it has just completely opened things up. But I do want to circle back and just out purely curiosity. You mentioned about obviously you uncovered, you saw this ebook online, and then you're like, cool, this is something I want to dive into. What were some of your, or who were some of your early inspirations when it came to setting things up online? Because especially in those days, and you look back, there was only a handful. Now it's like, cool, so many people out there you can go to to teach and learn and everything like that. But back then, and it was similar to me, it's like at that time, it's like there was bit like, there's not a Rolodex and you're not seeing Facebook ads every day from someone who's like, I can teach you these things. It was like, hmm, you know, it's probably a handful to two handfuls of people yeah. out there. What were some of your early inspirations? Yeah. Well, the first person, the ebook whose whose ebook it was that I walked past was actually Craig Ballantyne, right? Oh, wow. And so I, I also live on the philosophy of if there's a faster way and there's someone who knows it, go and pay them some money so you can learn it, right? So I'm, I'm very heavily invested in that. So I actually joined his mastermind, um, him and Frank Kern. So Frank Kern was another one. He was sort of, those were the couple that were sort of popping up around the time. Um, and Joel Marion were, were really the three key. But I went, and, I went and joined Craig's mastermind, and I probably won't go into the story, but it was an absolute nightmare. It was, he, he's the worst business person. Like, and I, I'm happy to go on record to say that because it was just a terrible experience to the point where I'd, I'd flown over from Australia, right? You know, um, and, and you've got a mastermind, so you know what it's like to lead a mastermind. He was really good at selling it through words, right? And th- this is an issue that I have with not just not him in particular, I'm, I'm definitely over that, but the industry right now is that people are so good at being able to use words and marketing to get someone to the front door to walk through. And then when they're in there, there's no furniture, right? Like for me, I'd flown over to Las Vegas it was, and it was a huge investment for me at the time because I wasn't making it. I was just doing personal training. I wasn't making, you know, extra money online at scale at that stage. 
you know, so I flew over there. I was literally, it was three day, a two day mastermind. I literally threw, flew in for only three days because I had clients. I couldn't stop my clients or else I wouldn't have got paid and I wouldn't have had money. So that's how sort of tight things were for me back then. And I walk into the room. I'm, I'm very punctual. I'm the earliest generally to everything. Yeah, I'm always on time. And I, I walk into the room like 20 minutes, yeah, f- about 15 minutes earlier and no one was there except for someone sitting over in the corner. And it was Craig Valentine actually sitting at his at his bloody laptop. And I was like, oh, I, I felt quite like nervous because he was sort of like the only guy I'd really seen on the internet, right? So he was sort of semi-famous to me in that at that moment. And then a couple of people come into the room and and next thing I'm talking to someone next to me, I'm like, is that Craig? Because I wasn't sure. Cause I was like, surely if that's Craig, he'd come up and come up and say, you know, hey, how you doing? How are you? And and the guy goes, oh, yeah, don't worry about him. He's socially awkward. Just go and say hello. And I'm like, okay. So I went up to him. I said, oh, hey, Craig, Brett, you know, just come in, flew in from Australia. And he's like, oh, welcome. Please take a seat. And that was it. I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. You guys come across like the the most amazing mentors and this and that. And I was I, but here's what it did for me, right? Because I, I thanked them. I actually sent him an email about this, thanking him because I was joining the mastermind for the wrong reasons. Right. I joined the mastermind because, and again, I bought into the hype of the affiliate marketing component where I just need a product and everyone will promote it for me. So I was going over there to get a list, right? Made a couple of really good friends through it. But what it did for me, I was like, okay, I need to come up. I need to build my own list. You know, Craig, Craig isn't going to promote my stuff or someone isn't just going to promote my stuff, even though they made it sound like that was really the, the lure, right? I was lured into it. And look, I take full responsibility here as well. I'm not trying to pass the buck or play the blame game, but it taught me one thing and it was, I need to be in control of what I'm building. And I want to be the person with the database where when someone wants to launch a product, people come to me and fast forward 12 months from there, he was asking me and people in the group were asking me to promote this stuff because I generated like 700,000 leads throughout that year, you know, in our space and, and at a real active database and, and community. So it was the I had to take responsibility myself and, and build it. I'm not sure where I where I went there. I certainly got triggered when you when I thought of him, didn't I? <laughs> no, I love it. That's the I was going on the you know the early inspirations and whatnot. And it yeah. is because obviously, yeah, you don't have to you don't have to have a positive experience to be inspired and push in a in a good direction, right? It's like right. you can be like, cool, that's something, you know, when I have a coaching program, I don't want people to have that experience. So it can uh, it, it can yeah. can get the positives out of it as well. Well, when I when I started my own mastermind, I knew not what to do. So I was like very, very pleased by that, you know. Yeah. And and look, again, he was the inspiration that got me started. I wouldn't have even if it wasn't for his thirty-seven dollar ebook, I, it wouldn't have changed the way that I look at everything that I do now. Yeah, that was mm. the starting point. But it, it just highlights it. And every time I sort of share that story, it's more so for people because I know you've got a lot of people who follow you who do run coaching programs and they they do run masterminds and and what was happening? I literally shut down prior to starting this agency, a seven-figure consulting company where I had a mastermind where literally all I was like, the the delivery of it was, I had like four two-day events every year, and then we got group coaching, right? And it was it was a million-dollar-a-year business, and I shut it down out of it just didn't feel right to me. That like the model was created to suit me, 
and not my clients. And I felt very incongruent with that. Now, what it doesn't, it didn't mean they weren't getting results and I wasn't giving them my best because I'd work like a, you know, like a racehorse to really try and provide and give and give and give. And I'd do random calls and coaching calls outside of what they were getting. But that's not the point. The point here is that I built something based off what's going to best suit me. Right. And I, and I knew at the time I was like, I just, just didn't feel like the right thing, you know, because it's easy to fall in love with the, the model being pushed out there that you should do three, three events a year. And, you know, you can do a group call every month or this or that. It's like, now I'm not saying that doesn't work and it's not good for certain people in certain businesses, but you can't put everyone in the same basket. That's when that's when you get not the greatest success rate, you know. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah, and I wish I wish more people would think of it like that because obviously, even still today, because that is something that is you know recommended, and you've got even the likes of you know Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, and stuff selling their whole mastermind program and telling people that's somewhat how it should be. When yeah, as you say, it's not definitely not a one size fits all approach for sure. Yeah, and, um, and you've got to look at it and go, what are you doing it for, right? Like Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. they can do their $100,000 a year platinum program. He turns up to two of them. Like There's three events a year, and you know, he turns up to two of them. You don't know which ones either. But when you're Tony Robbins, you can, you're can you getting away with that. Now, it's debatable whether or not it's the is, is the value or is this the best thing or, you know. But case in point is, and this comes back to when you're designing your product and program, don't just copy someone else's model, you know, because that's what works for them and they're charging 25K a year and you get three two-day events a year and then, you know, throw a run into group training. That's a cool model for you maybe, but you've also got to look at it going, how are you getting results for your clients, right? Which is why when when we entered the agency world, we did it very different as well. Like, you know, people out there charging two grand a month, three grand a month for for management in many cases, I just can't see how they're doing it. I don't see how they can grow and scale a company. Now you can get some leads and you can get some get some customers through it. Perfect. But we're we're in the business of growing and scaling businesses. And and I know damn well, just with the the five lenses as I call it with inside our own team, the amount of people that need to be involved in creating, crafting, and pivoting a marketing strategy, like it worked for me when I was doing it because there wasn't as many people out there doing it, right? And I could stumble and fall and I could just go, fuck it, throw another 10 grand at it and I'll get a return. But that doesn't work anymore, right? That The level of thinking and depth that needs to go into it is very, very, very different. You know, we've got at, le- at any any one account, there's like at least six stakeholders involved in it. Well, that's, that's a lot of people, right? you got creatives, you got copywriters, you got strategists, you got the technicians, right? account managers, like, and they're all different skills. So the industry right now out there in the the world that we're playing and that we're involved in, the biggest thing that I see, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, is the biggest thing, frustration that I'm running up against is the industry is being sold in a way that it shouldn't be sold because it's not going to be able to fulfill what the business needs. That that is so true, and I mean, some the it also gets driven a lot as you mentioned some of those things. It's like there's the people with their courses that are out there and being like, hey, uh, let me show you. It's real easy to start a social media marketing agency and make ten grand, fifteen mm. grand a month or whatever it is. Here's just the system, and most of the time it's people that actually 
and some of them may have, but most of them, they don't have an agency that does any more than that. Or some of them don't even have an agency and they're out there trying to teach people how to do that and putting all these things in place. And it's like, yes, I know you can get some result from it, but that's why even like we were looking the other day for, for staff to bring on and on Australia's current skills shortage list is copywriters, ad account managers and ad account and advertising specialists are the three, one of the three biggest in our space that's a shortage in Australia because as you say, there's either people that come and work in, in great agencies like like yours and they get to have that experience and specialist in that one area or seemingly a lot of people just go and seem to run their own little thing where they're, they're charging a couple grand a month and they can't seem to go through. So mm-hmm. I think it's like it's good and bad in the fact that it, it's good because it actually puts a lot of a lot of a, a gap or a, a difference in between actual agencies that go out there and growing businesses and helping their clients and people that are just really just freelancers. It's like you may as well call yourself, you know, that ad agency, you're a freelancer doing mm. a bit of work. And those people kind of tarnish the agencies with a bit of a bad brush because it's like, well, I hired an agency. It's like, no, no, you hired a freelancer sitting in his mom's bedroom to do your ads for. You didn't hire an agency who has specialist copywriters, strategists, ad account specialists, graphic designers. It's like, oh, it's a whole different kettle of fish. And this comes back to the the 30,000 foot narratives that sits all above that is the way in which business owners, well, founders are actually looking at their business, i.e. is it even a business or are you sort of just trying to figure this stuff out yourself or where do you want to take this business? You know, what does this business actually look like and what's the best outcome for it? You know, like, yeah, you're probably not going to go and hire an agency if you're, you've just decided you know what, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to go and create a course on how to how to paint murals, right? You're probably not the best business to have an agency working for you. You need to go and become the best mural painter first, you know, so people are actually interested in your stuff. And you might need to learn a little bit yourself. But here's the caveat around all of that is because I think I've heard nearly every adage possible around, oh, I can't use an agency because, right, fill in the blank. So, cool. If you break it down and you go back to talk to the founder and you go, hey, what are you trying to achieve here? Right, like, What are you actually trying to achieve? Most people don't really know to start with, which is a great explorational starting point, right? Because you're now not just being an ad guru. As, you know, you're actually helping them see the path of where they want to potentially take this thing. The amount of times I've had conversations with people and they're like, oh, I just want a million dollars a year. I'm like, okay, why a million? Oh, you know. Da, 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 reason, reason, reason. I'm like, how about five million? Oh, yeah, that'd be great too. So do you want five million? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we just five X just in a comp like, do you know what I mean? It's it's the it's the perception of where they feel that they need to end up at. And this is why most people are taking the, as I'll call it, the lowest hanging option to start with, which is yeah, get Sally, her boyfriend has run some ads for this company so he can run yours, right? Because you're not truly connected to where you're taking your business, right? If you're a coaching business right now, where do you want your coaching business to go to? Is it going to be just you? Do you want to have 10 coaches working for you? Do you want to franchise it? Do you want to license it? Right? Where do you, What's the model look like first and foremost? Because the model is so important. I was on a podcast this morning and I was being asked around, you know, about YouTube ads and Google ads and, and all that. And I said, look, that that's all super important. However, it ties back to this. It's like, I could tell you tactics and tips, but that's going to either get you, in many cases, further away from where you need to be, right? 
it'll make you feel good at the start because you'll get a dopamine hit of going, oh, fuck, I've got a tactic that I can use. I can't wait to use that tactic. But then you're like, well, that tactic, little do you know, is actually getting you further away from where you need to be because it's going to have you spending a lot more time in the weeds working on the the right thing just at the wrong time. And, and I just think there needs to be an awakening and around for entrepreneurs, for founders, that we need to start paying a lot more serious attention to what we're doing like and why we're doing it because that changes everything. And it becomes a, a, an absolute no-brainer to go, well, I either need to hire an internal resource here, full-time employee, or I need to hire an agency or an external partner. That, that's the option. Not you. You shouldn't be doing it. If you're the founder of a company, you need to get out of the bloody way of everything, right? Like when we started this agency, the first goal was how do I remove me from everything as fast as we possibly can? Because I'm the biggest linchpin. I'm the, the biggest choker chain in all of every process in this business, right? I heard this through Dan Sullivan. I first heard this in a fair few years ago and it just changed the way I looked because I did everything opposite. I was the guy who did everything. You know, I'd, I'd be carrying the bag up the hill, right? <laughs> and have people behind me walking without the bag. Do you know what I mean? I thought that was what, what really needed to happen. But when I heard the concept of who, not how, it just changed everything. Because I'd always go, okay, how do I do this? How do I figure that out? How do I do this? And then when I'm doing, when I'm trying to do that, I'm like, okay, how do I build a landing page? And back then there was no drag and drop builders. It was like HTML coding. So I'm like, okay, how do I do it? Google, okay, now I'm, now I'm a, bloody developer, right? A real shit one, but I'm trying to do it. I'm like, okay, how do I do that now? How do I do this? Versus who knows this? Who's already done this? Who can help me or who can actually do it for me? That's how you build a business. Find the who's. That's it. I think it's so, and it's, I think it's because like subconsciously, we always think it's like, well, when you start a business as a founder, most of the time you start just yourself, right? Unless you're lucky to have a great idea and you bring on a team or money to help support you, you start. And because at the beginning, the only way you can succeed is when you do the work, you make the sales, you you earn the money, and then it works. And you kind of keep, you hold on to that whole thought process of like, well, and at the beginning, I had to do all the work to make all the money or to get the results. So I'll keep doing it. And as you say, like, it's got to have a big shift. And I think it's for a lot of, entrepreneurs and founders it is the case where you go ah it's that they get a bit scared i was doing a coaching call with a girl or a lady sorry yesterday and she did the same thing she's like oh but like i'm i'm a little bit worried if i take if i like relinquish that control and i was like it obviously it's scary but it's actually the only way you'll grow otherwise you're just going to stay in a little cycle and you're not going to get any more and then it ties perfectly back into as you say like what's your actual goal because if your goal is a, a one million or a five million or a ten million or a hundred million dollar business with a whole bunch of people in it, you can't be the one doing everything because it is going to be the ridiculous bottleneck. There's easier ways to build businesses, have impact, and make money. And I don't want to sound like I'm speaking from a high horse here because I've only really just uncovered this the last twenty four months. Right? I had a very different approach, and this is why I'm such an advocate of sharing this with fellow founders and entrepreneurs now. Because I, hey man, there's an easier path. I wish someone was telling me this. Right. When, when I was sort of going through the, I'll do it, I'll figure it out, I'll do it. Right. Because you're right. Most founders, when they have an idea, they go and figure it all out themselves because they don't know who to talk to. Right. There isn't that real. I mean, everyone's an expert online, but the, the reality is, is like, well, who do I actually, who, who do I know who's actually built a business who can actually help me build the business where I'm not having to pay maybe 
five grand a month as mentoring, right? Or whatever it works out. So for me though, it's it's that there's the most important conversation that we as founders need to be having is that realigning going, what would the utopian outcome of your business look like? Like if if you could, what have you done your market research around the product? How big could your business be? Right? Is your business going to tap out at a ten million dollars? Is it going to? Is it a hundred million dollar business, or does it have a potential to be a unicorn? Right, like a billion dollar company. Do all the groundwork first versus going to get a ClickFunnels account and building a funnel and running some testing ads. Like you've got to do the foundation first and go: Does this business actually tap out, or is it incongruent with my current thinking process? Right, and I see that very, very often where someone wants maybe they want a $5 million business, but it's like, oh, your market, you know, you probably, if you get 30% market share, it's probably only a two, $3 million business in itself. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, no, most people don't because they don't do the work up front, right? But if you actually sit down and do the due diligence of it, I, I want to see a lot more founders, people with ideas that have really good ideas because they're just called, they're just best kept secrets, right? And best kept secrets should not be building their business. They should be, uncovering the secret, <laughs> right? So looking at it going, and, and this is where I've been spending a little bit of my time lately and, and going to be a lot more over the next, you know, well, for the foreseeable future is investing in people who have great products, great ideas, but they don't know how to grow a business. Like there's markets for that. Like, I mean, there's been angel investing around for a long time, you know, and I think for an entrepreneur or founder, it's actually even more exciting being able to work in your own zone of genius whilst being led by a team of advisors who are financially invested into your company and idea to help you grow up faster, right? And it's got to start from that because a lot of people don't even know that's available to them, right? Someone's got a good idea, I'll come and write a check for you, right? I was talking to someone yesterday and I said to them, I said, well, okay, they're, they're creating a product, pretty cool, unique product. I like it. It's for a specific, I won't talk too much detail on it right now. It's in manufacturing and so forth, but they're bootstrapping. I'm like, okay, if you had five, if I gave you $500,000 and it was sitting in your bank account, do you think you'd be making different decisions on how you grow this thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm like, okay. So what sort of decisions would you, well, we'd go a lot more aggressive here. We'd do this, we'd do that. We'd, we'd be able to bring on this person, that person, that person. And I'm like, Imagine being able to do that without the have to grind to the next, you know, next $20,000 a month revenue. And then you're like, now we can bring on the admin. Okay. Now we can bring on the next person, you know, and, and that's the, gr I mean, it's the grind and hustle. And I think it's, it's a really nice thing to go through, but man, if you have the capital and you have the equity sitting there, being able to make the moves, it's like, cool, we can, we can get the $15,000 website or the $30,000 website and not the 4,000 one that old mate's going to do for us that takes six months to get it done, right? Like build the business the way in which businesses should be built. You know, and this is coming from someone who hacked his way through his first three businesses. I was just really lucky that, you know, my relentless attitude was really the predicate that got me through, right? Because there, there was many times I was just, I could have just gone, oh, this is, I'm done. But yeah, so I've clearly become a lot more passionate about that conversation because it's so much more impactful and, and rewarding for entrepreneurs because I believe, and I'll get you to get your thoughts on it, whether you agree or not. I believe the highest level for entrepreneurs is the ability to contribute back to others, right? It's the contribution. That's the highest level that we can get to. And 
if you're stuck doing your ads or if you're stuck writing sales copy or if you unless again you you are a sales copy genius and that's your that's your thing and you can still own the business and be the copywriter that's fine i'm not saying that but what i'm suggesting is imagine being able to do the thing that you love to do all day every day that helps drive the vision of the company forward and you can have a larger contribution than yourself i mean that's utopia right so i want founders to get to the utopian land sooner than later you don't have to go through 15 years of business to go you know what building this thing myself and learning how to do google ads and figuring out what seo means and da 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 so i wish i could have just painted the murals you know or whatever it is Actually, I wholeheartedly agree. It's like, and as you say, you get to then contribute so much more. Not only, obviously, are you contributing to the people within your business, it's like all stakeholders get a benefit. You can, with the mural example, more people can benefit from the murals. You've got, you're helping the staff and all of their families because you can bring on more people and help those people. Yeah. You know, I was like, when we chatted when I was on um, your podcast and we talked about, you know, like the, the craziness of during the pandemic and like how important it is to make sure that all, all your staff are happy. And it's like, cool. Like, imagine if you didn't have to have 10 people sitting on the job seeker and they can't mm-hmm. get a job anywhere and you could actually help them and they could help you, you know, paint murals, sell murals and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's just hugely, hugely important. As you say, there's like, yes, you could always go and do everything by yourself and learn it all and do it all. And similar, uh, like, you know, myself have a similar background to that. It's like, you know, just hacking your way through and learning and doing it all. But if someone come to me and said, hey, Kim, what would you do now if you had the same question, like 500 grand in your bank account? And it's like, cool, I would much rather have been able to go down that path and go, cool, I can bring yep. all the, these people people in, help my clients get better results and just focus on the things that I do best and the, the best outcome for everyone that I deal with rather than having to you know, wear 65 different hats and scrape through it all. Because yes, so now I've got experience and been battle-tested and all these things. But it, look, to be honest, I'd probably have much more hair. I'd be much less stressed if I, if I didn't have to go through all, all that sort of stuff. And I'd be, uh, yeah. I'd be, I'd be much more appreciative. But I'll sure. never build another business with my, like a bootstrap again. I'll, I'll raise a couple of million st- straight away. That's what I'll do to get the working capital up, done, faster, so you again, you're not worrying about. Ah, uh, all I can afford is a, a little shitty office in the corner of this office building right at the back because that's all I can afford now. It's like imagine though having the working environment. So like our, our office here, just for starters, is a big investment, right? We we spend a lot of money on it. But as I was saying to you a little bit earlier, because you've just moved to a new office as well, and and you'd you'd notice this, I'm sure. Because you would have, you would have, you've got, you've had an upgrade. Is you're building an environment for your entire team to come and hang out and spend half of their waking life there, basically, right? That's quite a considerable bloody amount of time, right? At least half of their waking time, they're going to be spending at your environment that you've created for them. So you can go, oh, let's take the four thousand dollar a month rent over the twenty thousand. But it's like, what's that $15,000 investment every single month into being able to, one, retain talent, two, attract talent? Like We've attracted a lot of talent based on people going, oh, man, I've seen the office. When I walked in, it was just I wanted to be there, right? But that took me a little while to to, to really comprehend all this too, you know? like So I, I, I'm still on this learning curve just as much as everyone. I, again, I don't want to sort of come across like I know it all. These are just lessons that have sort of come to me over the last three and a half years of, of especially in the in Claxon as a business. But it's the, and these are the things that most business owners 
don't really consider, right? They're not really thinking about, but they have massive amounts of impact. Like just how's your team? Have you even, have you noticed a tangible difference just in, in the team and the happiness and the feeling and the vibe and the energy around the place? Oh, hugely. And it's like, you know, we've last month had one of our best months ever, which is our first full month in the office. The team, like, not that they weren't working hard on clients' result, uh, like results before everyone was doing well, but even clients' results have been like, that were good, like, were good and greater. Like, they're, they're amazing now. And everyone's in, the guys are in early. And it's like, oh, I haven't asked them to do anything different. But the yep. environment being there, like, it's just, it's completely changed and shifted their, like, how they're working and how they're showing up to work as well. Now the perce- the perception of it is it's immense and you don't realize it until you actually see it, you know, month after month after month. You're like, oh, I get it. I get it. Like, I'd come and hang out here in the weekend. Like, I, I don't, but I, I'd be very happy to because oh, I love the place. It's cool. It's actually nice to hang out. I mean, I've got my own podcast studio here, you know, so I come into the office. I'll run. I'll do podcasts. I'll sit in here for the day. I'm just like, man, I just, I just love this room. It's valuable for me too, which allows me to produce a better podcast, to produce, you know, to share better things. And and actually, it's very similar to the, the concept. So I just read the book, Ego is the Enemy, right, from Ryan Holiday. If you haven't read that, I, you, I reckon you'd really like it. And they talk about business first, like business first principles, right? Well, first base principles, I think it's called. Um, I might have balls that up, but case in point, what it simply means is go back to the basics, Right, an example they used was when a, a famous basketball coach took over a particular team and took them to NBA finals and won championships. It was literally he would sit down the players and teach them how to tie their shoes first. He's like, okay, we're going to learn how to tie our shoes properly, put our shoes on, because shoes not put on properly lead to blisters. Blisters leads to missed goals. Missed goals is lost games. Lost games is no championship. No championship feeds the soul of of poor performance and it just keeps going and going, right? So looking at things from first base principles, in many cases, especially in business and life in general, right, gives you a real good restarting foundation to go back to. It's it's like when someone like a computer's not working, right? Well, my wife, she is an absolute doozy for this one. Oh, my laptop's not working again, or this isn't working. I'm like, have you forced quit it? Have you shut it down and turned it off? Oh, yeah, I tried it. No, did you shut it down or did you just restart it? Oh, I just restarted it. Okay. Hold the button down. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like fully just turn something off and turn it on again. Even the mobile phone. It's like, when did you last turn your mobile phone off? That'll solve 99% of issues. Right, it's just basic principles. It's like someone when they're like, oh, the TV's not working. Have you checked the power is switched on at the wall? Oh, fuck. Why is that off? That shouldn't be off. No, it shouldn't be, but it is. Go back to the basics, right? We make things so complicated. Life, right, so isn't, I, life isn't that complicated. We make it so complicated. I used to work in an IT company like many, many years ago. And that was literally like 99% of the calls is like, we're like, cool. There's a special technique. It's called power cycle <laughs> yeah, where exactly. you just turn it off and you turn it back on. Yeah. And then like all pretty much, yeah, 99% of the calls, like every now and again, there would be something that would be a big IT problem, but that would just like, oh, cool. And it's like, great. Printer's not working. Great. Number one, is it mm-hmm. plugged in? 
Exactly. Number two, is the, is the USB cord connected? Awesome. Have you turned it off? And then it's like, oh, yeah, done that. And it's like, oh, wow, thank you so much. I'm like, I feel kind yeah. of bad billing you for the half an hour of walking you through, like making sure it's plugged in. But Nice principles, right? It's like yeah. go back to the very inception point of where does it all start? Mm. Yeah, Instead of jumping so into step 18 trying to figure it out and you're <laughs> like, oh, you know, you, you've got no idea, you've got no context around it. So true. And now, Brett, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like to ask one question, which is what's something that I haven't asked you that I should have? You should have asked me how I'm going. How am I feeling? How are you feeling? I don't, I'm feeling really good, actually, to be perfectly honest. But let me frame that because I think it's an important question that you, you asked there. And it's such a simple thing. And it's, I don't think enough of us ask people how we're actually going with a follow-up question. Okay, so what I mean by because it's easy to go, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, cool, great. How are you? Yeah, blah, blah, right? I did, it, I did it this morning. I walk into the office and I said to, to one of the girls, I said, hey, how you doing? And they're like, thank you. I'm like, you didn't even hear what I just said. Like, you know, you know the old, they, they reply with a, you thought you asked something else type thing. But the point there that I'm making is that we can ask people and go, hey, how you doing? And people are like, oh, yeah, all right. I always personally, I always go, what do you mean? All right. Like what would make things better? What's happening? You know, and actually be curious or don't ask how someone's going. Cause if you don't care how someone's going, don't ask them, right? You're not forced to have to ask someone, but if you ever ask someone how they're going, I want to challenge everyone listening. If you, the next person you ask, how, how are you going? Have a follow-up, right? Always have a follow-up. You know, I use a number of things like, you know, someone's going, oh, how's, I'll say, how's your day going? Oh yeah, good. And I'll go, out of 10, what's your scale? You know, be prepared for someone to go, oh, two, right? Be prepared for that, right? Because someone might, someone might go, ah, oh, six or a seven. I go, okay, what would need to happen in order for you to get a nine or a 10? This would have to happen. Okay, well, cool. Well, yeah, hopefully that, hopefully it all works out. Boom. And, and you could pass. But what you've done is you've incepted into their mind to, to already think about what they need to do in order to make their day better. So they're already aware of it, right? So it's, it's how you can have massive impact on people without really going too depth, you know, without sitting down and trying to get to real, the depths of everything. It's just ask people how they're going, but follow it up. I love that. And especially in Australia where the, yeah, like almost right. the default answer is like, or well, not bad, yeah. like not bad. Yeah. So good, great. Like what? Terrible? Is that? That's yeah. not bad. Like, what's the actual answer? Because Australians, yeah, you know, they, they, they always answer it with a negative. Yeah, I, I had a couple of a uh, couple of team members where I'd ask that, and they'd go, "Not bad." And I go, "Do you realise that's like a double negative? You've just put, you've incepted two negative words, one after the other." And I like, oh, didn't really think about it. I'm like, "What? What happens when you say negative words? It creates a negative negative flow." Again, this is that whole conscious subconscious connection of it, right? Words are powerful. Because we attach meaning to certain things. Like when you hear the word bad, like automatically your brain just did something and you, you, you thought of, oh, like whether it was a, an actual thought of something bad, but you had a visceral feeling with inside. Like if I said terrible, right, it emits a negative connotation. It ain't dropping no dopamine. Yeah, it's like you'd be better saying I'm doing good. Oh, I'm doing good. Not not bad because you're right. The Australian lingo and that the the old she'll be right type attitude. Yeah, you know, I mean one of our clients here that we work with closely is called Livin, which is a mental health charity, and their their motto is it ain't weak to speak. And that's where you know for me 
the whole concept of, and, and I get it. I'm also, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm trying to have impact on people's days in a positive way wherever I possibly can. And not everyone's like that, right? A lot, a lot of people just like to remain silent and not bloody talk to other people. And I get it. I have days like that as well. However, my, my point there is you don't realize the impact that you can have on someone by just saying, hey, how you doing? And then challenging them. You know what I mean? Like most people don't get challenged, but when they do get a bit of a challenge, like, oh, hey, yeah, you're right. Like literally in, in our um, apartment, so jumped in the lift, we're on level 17, got a, a couple of, so there's a family that lives above, above us. They've got like two teenage girls, hopped in the lift. I'm going down like, hey, girls, how's, how's your day going? Oh, yeah, it's all right. I'm like, oh, you know, out of 10, what would you rate it? Six. I said, okay. Again, same as what I said. I said, what would need to happen for you to, to get an eight? You know, and then what would need to happen? Because the other one said seven. I'm like, what would happen for you to get a nine? And she's like, da, da, da. and I said, so what are you going to do about that? How are you going to make that happen today? Oh, right, right. like literally in, in 25 seconds of the lift going down, I was able to, they were in the lift like this on their phone, just like dreary. They walk out. You could see in their their energy and, and their physiology changed by just them thinking about what would need to happen in order to, for it to be good. You know, test this with your staff, test it with everyone that you go, that you come in contact with, you know, yeah. make a big it's difference. So true. Yeah, it's huge. And I know for myself, I remember ages ago, one of the first, I think it was like the personal development audios I was listening to. I think it was, I always get mixed up if it was Jim Rohn or Zig Ziglar. And that when people would ask him like how his day is going and it would always be something amazing because he wanted to put himself into that, into that state. And it's like, oh, don't you have bad days? And he's like, the, the worst day I have is a semi-terrific day. Yeah, I was like, that's a great viewpoint to have. And it's like, you know, if you go, oh, my, I'm having a bad day versus my day is semi-terrific. It's like, cool. It's, you're still on the positive rather than going, you know, because there's always days where, as you say, you have the days where you're like, actually, you know, it's it's a tough day. It's a rough day. There's things to deal with. But yeah. you know, if you put it on into the viewpoint of, hey, it's just a semi-terrific day, then it completely changes the way you think about it. Yep. Really. Now, now, Brett, obviously, as I mentioned earlier at this beginning, I said, I was like, we normally run for about 30 minutes. And I was like, I know this one's going to go longer, though. So we, uh, this, this may end up being a, a two-parter. So we can we like to give everyone their 20, 30 minutes to listen. And obviously, we mentioned I was on your podcast, which we'll have a link to as well. But if anyone's gone, cool. Actually, I found this chat with Brett really interesting. I want to find out more about what he's up to. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online? I just... You can go to brettcampbell.com.au and you can pretty much find everything and anything about me through there. You know, connect with me on any of the socials. I'm hanging out on all of them, basically. Slide into the DM. So yeah. there you go. Easy done. You got it. Beauty. Well, guys, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, check the show notes and we'll have links so you can, you can connect with Brett and find out more about what he's up to. And if you know anyone else out there, if listening to that and you think, hmm, maybe they needed to have a little bit of a listen to that, entrepreneur and that founder chat that we had and different uh, viewpoints and different thinking that people should have around their businesses, please make sure you share this episode with them. This is why I like to bring on amazing guests like Brett, because it's like it opens up people's thinking, opens up the way that you think about what your business is doing and what you're doing in your life as well. So please make sure you share this with someone that uh, you think would benefit. And Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you making the time. Mate, it was an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you.